Let me invite you to join with me now as we take our second look at the letter of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 3. Paul's second letter to Timothy, his young protege in gospel ministry, and we will read chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Paul writes, I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us. And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher." For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Father, we, we want to be convinced tonight. We want to be sure of our faith in you. And so we ask that you would show yourself, because when we see you for who you are, our faith grows. Show yourself to us. Help us understand what Paul is saying to Timothy and what the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying to us. Give us grace to understand your word, to believe your word, to apply your word, to benefit from and be given hope and faith and courage by your word tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Those are Paul's famous words, among his most famous words of all, actually, written to the church at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And many of us are probably familiar with those words but Paul, though Paul made that statement more famously to the church at Rome, we find him saying the same thing this evening in the last letter of his life to his son in the faith, Timothy. Verse 12, I am not ashamed. Not ashamed of what and of whom I preach and teach. Verse 11, and not ashamed to suffer the things I'm suffering either. In verse 12, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And Timothy, you shouldn't be ashamed either, verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. 
Do not be ashamed, in other words, on the one hand, of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And on the other hand, in the next few words, do not be ashamed not only of the gospel, but of those who preach the gospel. Even if they are maligned and marginalized for it, even if they are treated as the scum of the world, 1 Corinthians 4, even if they are suffering and in prison like I am right now, do not be ashamed of the gospel and do not be ashamed of those who proclaim the gospel. And those are interesting things for Paul to say to Timothy because these words from Paul at least pose the possibility that Timothy was tempted to be ashamed. And therefore tempted also, verse 6, to water down his preaching or maybe to give up preaching altogether. We have a picture here of an apostle who is concerned about his apprentice that he might be afraid, that he might be ashamed, that he might back down from the preaching of the gospel. Whether Timothy is those things, we're not positive, but Paul sees the possibility. He sees the potential temptation. And so we look at Timothy, and I hope far from being ready to throw the first stone at him for possibly being ashamed or tempted to be ashamed of the gospel, I think many of us understand what Timothy might have been feeling. Because the gospel... While it brings great joy to those who believe it, yet it also raises great ire many times among those who don't. Because the gospel tells careless people that they're in danger of hell. And the gospel tells religious people that their works aren't good enough to save them from it. And the gospel tells pluralists and idolaters that Jesus is the only way. And the gospel declares to all people everywhere that they should repent. And that word repent is a startling word. It's a word that not many people like. Just walk up to someone sometime, don't really do this, but imagine yourself just walking up to someone on the street and telling them, repent. Or imagine that saying, saying that to a co-worker whose sin you know and saying, you need to repent. Maybe in that case you should say it. But think about what their facial expression may be when you use just that word, repent. Well, the gospel calls on us to repent, and the gospel, the true gospel, has a sharp edge to it, doesn't it? No matter how nicely we communicate it. And so, for all the sweet things in the gospel, which you and I enjoy, and which we love to hear from this pulpit, and which we want our friends to enjoy too, for all the sweet things of the gospel, the reality is that the gospel, when it is preached rightly, almost always first fills the hearer's mouths with the bitter things of the truth about themselves before they taste the sweet things. And while for some people, by God's grace, the bitter things are what awaken them to a desire and a taste for the sweet, for others, the reality is they simply spew those bitter things right back out of their mouths. And sometimes they get a little cranky with those who've tried to give them the necessary medicine. I wonder if you ever got a little grouchy or saw someone get a little grouchy with a doctor or a nurse trying to give them medicine, trying to insert an IV, trying to inject you with a needle. We forget in those moments because of the prick of the needle or the taste of the medicine, we forget that the doctor, the nurse are actually doing us good. And so we can get ornery with them, if not in our words, at least in our hearts. 
But you know, it's far worse when you're thinking about a person who hates God and who's puffed up with pride because not only is the medicine for them going to be bitter at first, not only is the injection going to sting, but sinners often don't believe, as you do with your doctor, that you are actually doing them good when you bring the medicine. Such is the blindness of our sin natures. And most of us understand that that's how it is. So that while some of us might be naturally timorous anyway, some of us might be tempted to shrink from sharing the gospel anyway because we're naturally afraid, but yet even those of us who are more outgoing and who could talk to our coworkers, or our neighbors all day long about all manner of things, yet we find it more difficult, don't we, to talk to them about Christ than almost anything else. Why? Because we know what that's like when they taste the medicine and we're afraid of people's reaction. We don't want to be scolded. We don't want to be cold-shouldered. We don't want to be thought poorly of. We don't want to be discriminated against in the workplace. And so we're tempted, therefore, to be a little bit ashamed of the gospel. And then the gospel is so maligned in our culture that we might just be a little bit embarrassed by its exclusive claims. Ashamed Verse 8 of the testimony of our Lord. And not only that, but still in verse 8, when we see someone else sharing the gospel and getting the medicine spit back at them, when we see a co-worker being marginalized or a family member being ostracized because of their testimony for Christ, sometimes we can be a little bit embarrassed of them. Maybe even want to stand a little bit aloof from them because everyone else views them as an extremist and we don't want to be tarred with that same brush. And maybe this is where Timothy was living in his own soul. Or at least where Paul was afraid he could be tempted to go. It was hard to keep preaching the gospel because the gospel in Timothy's day, just as in ours, brought opposition. And now his mentor, maybe his closest friend in the Lord, has been slapped in jail for preaching the gospel. And perhaps Timothy is tempted or could be tempted just to be a little bit cautious about how closely he wants to associate his name with that of Paul. Or more seriously, about how closely he wants to associate his name even with the name of Jesus. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me his prisoner. There's Timothy's temptation. And again, far from casting the first stones, many of us have been there. We've been there at work, we've been there at school, we've been there in our extended families, we've been there among certain circles of our friends, nervous maybe about being thought of as the Jesus freak, worried about being associated as one of those church people because we know the world thinks of those church people as fuddy-duddies and sheep and ignorant losers. And so, maybe we've worked at some points in our lives over hard to blend in and to look like everyone else around us, or not to say anything that might get us pegged as Jesus freaks. Or maybe we've been fine with being known as Christians, but we shrink back from sharing Christ with people, because it's one thing to be known as a Christian ourselves, it's another thing to do what the Bible says and to try to convince other people whom we assume are uninterested and maybe even hostile that they should follow Jesus too. And that's when the medicine might be spit back in our face, isn't it? 
Not every Christian struggles with these things, and those who do struggle with them don't struggle with them all the time necessarily, but many of you know what it is, and I do too. Many of us know what it is, frankly, to find ourselves at times ashamed of the gospel, afraid to speak the good news of Jesus. And so we need this passage tonight because the call in this passage from Timothy to Paul and from the Holy Spirit to us, the call in this passage is for courage in gospel ministry. And we all have a gospel ministry in our own spheres of influence, we said last week. The call tonight is for courage for you to speak for Christ and to identify with his people in your own sphere of influence and in your own sphere of ministry. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Courage. And did you notice at the end of verse 8 that the call to be unashamed is also a call to be so unashamed that you would be willing to suffer for the gospel? Did you see that? Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So Paul is saying to Timothy, and the Spirit is saying to us, we must be so unashamed of the gospel and of God's people that we would be willing, on the gospel's account, on the church's account, we would be willing to be laughed at, to be marginalized at work, to be dropped a grade level on our paper in school, to be called a Jesus freak, to be whispered about behind our backs, to be thrown in prison with Paul in verse 8, even killed as Paul was soon to be, in order that we might speak for Jesus and stand with his people and try our best to give him glory and do our fellow man good by telling them of the only way and the only one who can make them eternally happy. Paul evidently thought that Timothy might just be tempted to be ashamed and therefore not to speak these wonderful truths to those who needed them so badly. Paul evidently thought Timothy might just be tempted maybe even to leave off preaching in verse 6, to neglect the gift of God which was in him through the laying on of Paul's hands. And so Paul calls Timothy not only not to be ashamed, but on a positive note, he calls him to kindle afresh the gift of God. In verse 6, to reignite his gift for preaching, to keep getting behind the pulpit, to keep sharing the gospel out in the highways and along the hedges. Maybe we're not sure what was going on in verse 6 that Timothy needed to rekindle, but maybe it was that Timothy was still preaching, but his message had gotten soft and mushy. The corners rounded off of the truth so that he wasn't clear anymore on the great things of the gospel. That can happen sometimes with a pastor who just doesn't want any more controversy. So he stops saying, the hard things that God says. It's possible, I don't know this for certain, it's possible that Timothy may have just said, I can't do this at all anymore. That he just left off preaching altogether. But whether he was just preaching not like he ought to have been preaching or whether he was not preaching at all, whatever the case, Paul says in verse 6, Timothy, you've got to relight your fire. The preaching must go on. 
I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And that's true of you. If you've been sort of watering down the gospel in your own attempts to share it and just talking about the easy things but not actually sharing the true gospel, or if you've just decided, I, I, I just, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't keep putting myself out there and sharing Christ with people. If that's you, the Holy Spirit is saying to you tonight, kindle afresh the gift of God. Kindle afresh your desire and your efforts to tell people the news, good news. About Jesus. All of this, I say, is a call to courage. It's a call to courage in your life and in my life. Maybe we have gotten mushy with the gospel. Maybe we have rounded off the sharp corners. Maybe some of us who used to share Christ, who used to speak for Christ at work or at school or in the family or on social media, maybe some of us who used to do that have just for all intents and purposes stopped. Kindle afresh the gift of of God. Reignite the flame of your zeal for sharing Jesus with those around you who need him desperately. And that will take courage. Not timidity, verse 7, but courage. I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of of God. Courage in ministry. Courage to share the gospel. Courage to minister God's word in the face of difficulty. That's what this passage is all about. But I want you to know that Paul doesn't just stop there by issuing a bare call for courage. He also labors in this passage to encourage. He presents Timothy and us in this passage with truths that will stimulate courage, truths on which we can found our courage, because courage is not innate to us, is it? It's not just something that we can work up, but it is something to which we can attain if we know the truths in this passage and live on the truths in this passage that encourage, that provide courage, that stimulate and build courage. And so with the rest of our time tonight, I want to show you six of those truths, six encouragements, six truths that will build courage, six stimuli to gospel courage. And the first is simply this, the investment of others. We should be stimulated to courage with the gospel by the investment of others. Did you notice that when Paul calls Timothy to reignite the flame of his preaching, when Paul calls Timothy in verse 6 to kindle afresh the gift of God, did you notice that this call to preaching courage in verse 6 is prefaced by the words, for this reason? There is a reason why you must kindle afresh your preaching Timothy, for this reason, kindle afresh the gift of God. For what reason? Well, for the reason he's just given in verses 3 through 5. And what reason was that? 
Well, listen to those verses with me. I thank God, Paul says, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, Paul says, you must kindle afresh the gift of God. For this reason, because of the prayers of your mentor, in verses 3 and 4, and because of the testimony of your mother and your grandmother, in verse 5. For this reason, kindle afresh your preaching gift. For this reason, be courageous in gospel ministry, because of the investment that other people have made in you, Timothy. Now, maybe the idea is to remember these investments of Paul and Lois and Eunice and to be inspired, Timothy, to invest in others the same way they invested in you, persevering, as we said last week, on the strength of others' godly examples and out of a desire in a spiritual gospel sense to pay it forward. Or it could be that the call here is to remember, Timothy, how much has been poured into you by others so that you're moved not to squander what they've invested by giving up mid-race. But in either case, be courageous in the gospel, Timothy, stimulated by others' investments in you. And what investments these were, right? It wasn't just that Paul was praying for Timothy night and day, verse 3. Now he was doing that. But they had shared ministry together night and day in the most formative years of Timothy's adult life. So that their bonds were tight. So tight that Paul, in verse 4, in the last days of his life, is longing to see Timothy's face. And Timothy, for his part, still in verse 4, Paul remembers him shedding tears in Paul's presence, maybe upon their last painful parting from one another. Longing, tears, night, day, prayers. Paul had invested in this young man. Paul had poured into Timothy's life. And for this reason, because of what Paul had invested in him, Timothy must be courageous and keep preaching. And not only because of what Paul had invested, but again in verse 5, because of what Lois and Eunice had invested in Timothy as well. They had faith first, Timothy's mother and grandmother. And he now has faith of the same kind, verse 5. And the idea in verse 5 seems to be that Timothy got his faith, humanly speaking, from them, from his mother and his grandmother, probably as he observed their faith, but then also as he was trained in the faith, chapter 3, verse 15, ever since he was a little boy. And who trained Timothy in the faith over there in chapter 3? Well, we're not told. Who taught Timothy the Scriptures? We're not told. But he knew them in his childhood, and almost certainly the ones that taught him were these same ladies, his mother and his grandmother, who are mentioned here, who were Christians before he was, and at whose knees Timothy grew up. And for this reason, because of what his mama and his granny poured into him, for this reason, Timothy can't stop preaching. For this reason, Timothy has to kindle afresh his gift. For this reason, he has to be courageous with the gospel in view of how the gospel was invested in him by others. Paul doesn't say this is the main reason, 
And we'll see other reasons that we might think are even deeper reasons. But this is a reason why Timothy needs to be courageous. And it is reason for us to be courageous as well. To make good on the investments that other people have poured into your life and mine. To pay those investments forward. And to follow the examples of those who invested in us. So just think about it in your own life. Who invested in you? Who shared Christ with you? Who taught you from childhood or maybe from your spiritual childhood if you were converted later in life? Who nourished you on the pure milk of the word? Who mentored you like Paul so that you began to be able to serve the Lord? Who prayed for you consistently like Paul did for Timothy? Who was with you night and day? For this reason, you must be courageous. Because of this investment, you must not be ashamed of the gospel. For this reason, you must go on sharing Christ and investing in others to make good on the investment they made in you, to follow their example, to entrust others, chapter 2, verse 2, with what someone entrusted to you. That's the first thing tonight, the first stimulus to gospel courage, the investment of other people in our lives. But then the second is this, not only the investment of others, but we should be stimulated to courage by the calling of God. The calling of God on our lives. Did you notice how Timothy's preaching in verse 6 was not just something that he up one day and decided to do, but rather his preaching was a gift. It was a spiritual gift. And then Over in verse 11, Paul speaks of his own preaching and his own apostleship and his own teaching as something that he was appointed to. And so you get the picture. Both of these men were called by God to be heralds of the gospel. They were called by God to be teachers of the good news. And that's why they had to preach. And that's why they had to keep preaching. And that's why they had to be courageous because of the calling of God. On their lives. God is the one who sent them to do it, and they can't stop doing what God has sent them to do. Indeed, indeed, this is why they could be courageous, because they were called of God, because in going out and doing this gospel ministry, they were right where God wanted them to be, wanted them to be. And surely He was there with them. Now, I realize, of course, there is a sense in which the calling of Paul and the calling of Timothy. And the calling of men to labor full-time in the gospel today is a unique thing. We who are called to labor full-time in the gospel, in other words, must especially apply what Paul is saying here. We must especially keep preaching Christ because we have been given a unique calling to give our lives to this full-time. And that's no doubt in view here. Timothy, as a full-time minister of the gospel, had a unique calling, and therefore he had a unique need to keep speaking for Christ, and therefore he had a unique need for courage, and a unique reason for courage, because God was with him. I'm not up here preaching on my own, is what Timothy should have said to himself. I am called to this very task, and that gives me courage, and that tells me that I better be courageous and not give up. So there's a unique thing going on here about gospel ministers, but I say again, as I said last week, that though we're not all called as gospel ministers, yet we are all called to minister the gospel. Your calling is not the same as mine, and nor is it exactly the same as the person who's next to you in the pew tonight, but God does have a call on your life. 
God does call you to be salt and light. He does call you to be a city set on a hill. He does call you to witness for Christ by your lips and by your life in the spheres of influence in which he has placed you. And some of those spheres, not all of them, but some of them are going to be places in which sharing the gospel, being a testimony for Jesus, will be no piece of cake. And in order to keep going and to share Christ there and to not be ashamed there and to have courage there, you're going to have to remember that you're called there, that God has placed you there, that God has a ministry for you there, and God has people for you to influence there. And so let this be a stimulus to courage, that you're called of God to minister where he's placed you. Let it be a stimulus to courage in the negative sense of not wanting to drop the ball, but let it be a stimulus of courage also in the positive sense, knowing God has you right where he wants you and that you're not there on your own. Let the calling of God on your life be a stimulus to courage in ministering the gospel to other people. But then as we consider the stimuli for courage with the gospel, we have to consider not only the investment of others in verses 3, 4, and 5, not only the calling of God in verses 6 and 11, but then also in verse 7, we should be stimulated to courage by the equipping of God. The equipping of God. Verse 6, don't leave off preaching, Paul says. Fan your gift into flame. Why? For, verse 7, or because... God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Keep preaching for or because of the spirit of power and love and discipline that God has placed in you. You might be timid about sharing Christ, Timothy, but that timidity is not from God. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and discipline. God, in other words, has equipped us for this very task. God has equipped his people for sharing the gospel. He's equipped us, Paul says, first of all, with power, with a strength that comes from himself such that when we trust him for it, we're sometimes surprised at how bold we can be in speaking for Jesus. And God has equipped us also with love, Paul says, love for Christ, love for his gospel, love for people, such that when we are filled with this love, 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ controls us or compels us, as some versions have it, to share Jesus with people. And God has also equipped us not only with power and love, but also still in verse 7 with discipline or sound mind in some translations or self-control in others, so that However great our fears may be of sharing Christ, of proclaiming the gospel, of people's reaction to that, of the suffering that we might endure for speaking for Jesus, however great our fears may be, verse 7, we do not have to be overcome by those fears, but we can exercise discipline, self-control, a sound mind by which we press forward even though we're afraid. Some of you have heard that great quote from Nelson Mandela where he says that courage is not the absence of fear but the triumph over it. The brave man, he says, is not he who does not feel afraid but he who conquers that fear. But where does the courage come from to conquer our fear of sharing Christ if we're Christians? Where do we get the wherewithal to conquer our fear? 
from that sound mind, self-control, discipline that Paul speaks of and that God gives here at the end of 2 Timothy 1.7. And so what verses, verse 7 is saying when it tells us that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. What verse 7 is saying is that the equipping of God has granted to us power, love, discipline, and that's reason for courage. We have what we need from God to go out and do this. We don't go out into the highways and hedges in our own strength. God has us where he wants us, and God will give us what we need. He has given us what we need to spread the good news of his Son. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. So we're stimulated to courage by the investment of others, by the calling of God, by the equipping of God, and fourthly, by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Do not be ashamed, verse 8, of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Did you hear the grace of God in verses 9 and 10? We've been called with a holy calling, verse 9. Christ has come to us. He has appeared to us, verse 10. Death has been abolished. Life and immortality have been brought to life in verse 10. Why? Not according to our works, verse 9, but according to God's own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. In other words, the fact that you are saved and the fact that I am saved has nothing to do with us. All we contributed, Jonathan Edwards said, was the sin that made salvation necessary. Our holy calling, our eternal life that Paul speaks about here, these things were purposed by God, verse 9, not only before we were ever born, but indeed before the world began. From all eternity, he says. And they were purposed to come to us, not because of any merit in us, whether seen or foreseen, but by God's grace, verse 9, as a gift which needn't be earned or deserved or paid for or made back up to God in any way. By grace, you have been saved. By Christ's work, not your own work. All of which is wonderful. But we have to ask, why does Paul mention that here? Why does Paul go on this little excursus about salvation by grace, salvation of a free gift? Why does he do that here in the middle of this section in which he is urging Timothy to gospel courage? Well, he doesn't make it explicit this time with words like therefore or for this reason, but I think what Paul may be doing here is motivating Timothy to keep preaching the gospel, to take courage and keep sharing Christ by reminding Timothy of just how good we have it under the administration of the gospel. Timothy, we are not up there preaching, encouraging people to earn their way back to God. No, nor 
Have we had to earn our way to him, Timothy? It's all a gift for us and for those to whom we preach. He has saved us, verse 9, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. And that's motivation to tell others, isn't it? Both because the offer is so good and out of gratitude and amazement that God has been so good to us who are doing the offering. That's how it is, isn't it? If you heard on the radio today that La Rosa's was giving away tonight a free medium pizza to everyone who went to church and then came to the restaurant bringing a bulletin in their hand to prove that they had been at church tonight, don't you think someone would be at that door when we finish tonight talking up La Rosa's, handing out bulletins, and maybe trying to get a group of people to pile in the cars and go together, right? That's how it works. Their generosity would compel us to commend them. And it would urge us to urge others to take them up on the offer. But you see, God is offering far more than a single meal. God is offering to anyone who will take him up on it, to anyone who will repent and believe in Christ, God is offering a place forever at his banqueting table to take of his feast to buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And that should compel us to share this news. The grace of God, the free gift of God, should compel us to share this news. We're not salesmen of some big business just making our calls and doing our duty in order to get through the day. We are sinners who have been freely forgiven and who have been invited to dine with the king without money and without cost. And we've been given a charge and a stack full of invitations that we can never run out of to invite anyone and everyone to come with us who is willing to come. And that should stimulate courage, shouldn't it? The freeness of what we offer. We don't have a hard message. We have a wonderful message, an inviting message. It's a message of grace. The grace of God should stimulate courage in sharing Christ. And so also, still in verse 10, should the promise of immortality. The promise of immortality. Christ Jesus has appeared in the world, verse 10, and by his death, he has abolished death. And by his death and his life, he has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In other words, because Christ died in our place for our sins on the cross, bearing and absorbing the wrath of God that we have earned, because Christ died for us, we don't have to. Because Christ died the death that we deserve, there's no death sentence left hanging over our heads. For his people, Christ has abolished death. And for his people, he has brought life and immortality to light. He is risen so that we can know death is abolished and so that we too might walk in newness of life. And all this, again, is just wonderful gospel truth that we could go over any time and be benefited from but what's it got to do with timothy's need for courage in preaching the gospel and what's it got to do with your courage in preaching the gospel well this whole truth about the abolition of death and life and immortality through the gospel surely serves as part of the stimulus that we were just talking about under the last heading where we looked at the abolition of death, the promise of eternal life, and we realize they're free gifts, verse 9, and we say to ourselves, how can I be afraid to tell others of this marvelous news? But I think that maybe there's something else at work here too, especially when we remember the context. 
which is that Paul is writing this letter from jail and that he doesn't expect to make it out alive and he knows that he's facing this difficulty because he kept preaching Christ, verse 12, and he is concerned, remember, that Timothy will look at this situation. His mentor is in jail. His friend is about to be executed for preaching the same gospel that he preaches. And perhaps Paul is concerned that Timothy will look at this situation, that Timothy will see the cause and the effect, and he will stand back and say to himself, if this is what happens, if preaching the cross means going to a cross, or being beheaded, or being imprisoned even, I don't want to preach anymore. And Paul I think maybe saying to Timothy here in verse 10 with this news about the abolition of death and the appearance of life and immortality, I think Paul may be saying to Timothy in the face of those fears, in the face of I don't want to die, I don't want to go to jail for preaching the gospel, I think Paul may be saying to Timothy something like this in verse 10, verse 10 Ah, Timothy, but you see, death is not the end. My beheading will not be the end. Because the very gospel we preach, Timothy, the gospel, yes, that has me in chains, the gospel for which I'm going to be martyred, the gospel that you fear will land you in the same difficulty, this is the same gospel that pronounces through Christ life and immortality. We're not just preaching that to others, Timothy. That's our hope too. And so we can stare the lions in the face and we can keep preaching our way all the way to the gallows because when we have preached our last and when we have spilled our blood, death has been abolished for us and immortality awaits. Now I know Paul doesn't say all of that in verse 10, but I think given his own impending death and given Timothy's own fears about his life, I think perhaps the reason Paul mentions life and immortality here in these glowing and lofty terms in verse 10 is because this is their hope. This is Paul's hope. This is Timothy's hope. We preach immortality, Timothy, and so the threat of suffering for the gospel, even dying for the gospel, shouldn't dissuade you. And it shouldn't dissuade us either. Christ has appeared, and he has abolished death for you, believer. And he has secured immortality for you, Christian. And so there's no need to fear death. There's no need to fear any dying to yourself that must be done in this life or any other fear that may arise in your heart as you think about sharing Christ. We're immortal if we're in Christ. Death has lost its sting. Life eternal awaits us, and so we can take courage and not be ashamed and share Christ with all zeal, even if we suffer for it. Christ has been revealed, who abolished death and who brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So then, five stimuli so far for courage in the cause of the gospel. The investment of others, verses 3 through 5. The calling of God, verses 6 and 11. The equipping of God, verse 7. The grace of God in verses 9 and 10. The promise of immortality in verse 10. And then finally, the trustworthiness of God in verse 12. The trustworthiness of God himself in verse 12. I do, do draw this last stimulus from verse 12, but let's just back up into verse 8 and read the longer train of thought. 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel." for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy, verse 8. It's a marvelous gospel, verses 9 and 10. Worthy of preaching. And God has called me, Timothy, to preach it, verse 11. And yes, I've suffered for that preaching, verse 12. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And let me tell you why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Here at the end of verse 12, Timothy. Why am I not ashamed of the gospel? Why should you not be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy? Because I trust God. And because God can be trusted. That's what Paul is saying there in the last portion of verse 12. I am not ashamed of the gospel because I trust God and because God can be trusted. For I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I trust God, Timothy. I know whom I have believed. And the one whom I have believed can be trusted. I am persuaded that he is able And God will always be able, and God will always be trustworthy. He is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day, until Jesus comes again. So, Timothy, whatever it is that I might lose, whatever it is that the gospel and preaching the gospel and living for the sake of the gospel might cost me, I have entrusted that to my trustworthy God and he will guard it for me and he will take care of it for me and indeed if I have lost it he will give me a hundredfold more. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. The trustworthiness of God. That's what gave Paul courage. That's what should give you courage and what should have given Timothy courage when we're afraid to share Christ when we're afraid of what it might cost us when we're counting the cost we must ask can I trust God with these things yes do I trust God with these things that's the question I hope you'll be able to say yes to that too he is able and I hope you'll trust him as such Paris Reedhead, in his famous sermon, Ten Shekels and a Shirt, tells the story of two young Moravians, two young men from that zealous missionary-sending group of Christians in Germany who did such good in the 1700s. Two young Moravians, Reedhead tells us, heard of an island in the West Indies that was desperate for the gospel of Christ. The landowner was an atheist, with two to 3,000 slaves, and he had no interest in the gospel and would not permit any missionary to come and preach it on his shores. And so here were these two to 3,000 slaves, Reedhead says, doomed to live and to die without hearing of Christ. 
And these two young men in Germany heard about it, and they sold themselves to the landowner and into a lifetime of slavery so that they might gain entry into the land and share Christ with their fellow slaves so that, in their words, the lamb that was slain may receive the reward of his suffering. And surely that is motive enough if they never thought of any of the other things that we're saying tonight. Just that the lamb that was slain would receive the reward of his suffering as reason to be courageous with the gospel. But you see, whether those men had thought much about 2 Timothy 1.12 or not, I don't know, but they surely must have believed its principle. They surely must have known and believed and been convinced that all that they were giving up and all that they were risking could be trusted with God. Whatever families, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters they left behind, whatever prospects for work that they knew they would never have, whatever, whatever friends, whatever monetary losses, and all that came with being a slave for the rest of their lives, they knew that they could trust God with that, and so they went. And now, not only do they believe that God was able, but they've seen it face to face. And you will see it that way too if you belong to Christ. I hope even now you believe it. I hope even now you can say it and take courage in it even today. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day.